What's going on with the economy and the stock market? Will the new economic stimulus package jumpstart the economy as planned? We'll hear what the experts, including Grover Norquist, say. And did the universe just come together by chance, or was there an intelligent designer? We'll ask scientist and author Dr. Jonathan Wells. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. This morning, my administration reached an agreement with Speaker Pelosi and Minority Leader Boehner on an economic growth package. All right, that's President Bush announcing that you are going to get a check, probably, for $600 to $1,200, an economic stimulus package. What does this mean? Here again is President Bush. He's saying we're trying to jumpstart the economy. The incentives in this package will lead to higher consumer spending and increased business investment this year. Well, we certainly hope so, because some people think we're headed for a recession. Are we headed for a recession? We're going to talk about that at the half hour. Should you take your money out of the stock market, put it into bonds, other kinds of securities? And who really is the best presidential candidate when it comes to the economy? We're going to talk with Grover Norquist of Americans for Tax Reform at the half hour. You don't want to miss that. Also coming up, it's very cold. Have you noticed how cold it is today and all over the country? Very cold. But Al Gore has new warnings about global warming. And Bono, the singer, has made a major confession to Al Gore. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a few minutes. But first, you know what the Bible says in Colossians 1. God made everything. For by him, Christ, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Many other verses teach that God has created all things, particularly human life. But here's the question we're going to talk about for a few minutes. Are there also scientific reasons to doubt evolution? Are there philosophical reasons to doubt Darwinian evolution? Are there biological and logical reasons that cast doubt on the Darwinian theory of naturalistic evolution? 
With us to talk about it is Dr. Jonathan Wells. He's just co-authored a book, The Design of Life, Discovering Signs of Intelligence in Biological Systems. Dr. Wells has two earned doctorates, one in molecular and cell biology, another one in religious studies. Welcome to the program, Dr. Wells. It's a pleasure to be here, Jerry. Dr. Wells, let me just ask you this question straight out. Uh, Many of our listeners have heard of the notion, intelligent design. Would you explain it in layman's terms? Sure. It's it's actually a very simple and uh, modest notion. It merely says that we can look at evidence in nature and infer from that evidence reasonably that some things in nature are better explained by an intelligent cause than by unguided natural processes. It's not the same as creationism, which generally starts with the Bible right. and belief in God. Intelligent design starts with the evidence and rational inference. And it doesn't by itself get us to God, right. but it uh, enrages materialists because it does, in fact, open the door to God by implying that there is a designer of some kind. Let me ask you this question. You've mentioned then some examples. Uh, could you lay a couple of those out for us, biological systems uh, that really defy uh, the Darwinian hypothesis? Well, one example would be the, uh, the code in DNA. Uh, DNA, uh, as your listeners probably know, consists of four subunits, like letters in, a, in an alphabet. And uh, those letters can be arranged in many different ways, but in fact they're, they're arranged in ways that make sense. They make sense because they produce proteins that are necessary for a living cell. Uh, Now, as my co-author William Dembski would point out, maybe he did when he was on the show before, uh, the complexity of the code in in itself is not evidence for design. I could have a handful of Scrabble pieces, little wooden blocks with letters on them, and if I throw them on the floor, the pattern they make will be very complicated, but it's not designed. On the other hand, if I arrange them in a sentence on the floor, then that pattern is not only designed, but what Bill Dembski would call specified. It matches, it means something apart from the blocks themselves. And the same can be said for the code in DNA. Let me ask you this, um, Dr. Wells. Um, So you really haven't talked much here about Scripture or theism. Uh, You're really engaging the scientific community on their own terms, and you're saying there's physical, biological evidence that really undercuts um, their explanation. Uh, So I want to ask you about the schools um, and the scientific community, why they are um, so afraid of this kind of talk. I mean, to me, it seems like the reverse of Scopes. Uh, During the Scopes trial, uh, it was illegal to teach evolution, you could only teach creation, and Scopes dared to mention evolution. Now it seems like we have the reverse, that the party line is evolution, and you dare not challenge it, even on scientific grounds. What do you think? Well, I think you, there's a lot to that. In a, in a sense, we are in a situation that's the reverse of Scopes. Uh, but before I go any further, let me define what the problem is. Uh, Darwinists love to say, you know, evolution is a fact, and so on and so forth. Well, evolution is a broad term, and in several senses, it is a fact. Mm. For example, evolution can just mean change over time. Uh, 
micro which nobody disputes evolution or something like that. Sure. Well, my, uh, well, microevolution refers to minor changes within existing species, which is also a fact. So fact, finch beaks and moths and things, things like that. That's right. And people knew about those changes for centuries before Darwin came along. Right. But Darwin didn't write a book called How Existing Species Change Over Time. He wrote a book called The Origin of Species, and yes. he claimed to explain not only the origin of new species, but new organs and new body plans. This is macroevolution. Yes. And I argue, as a biologist, and I point this out in the book, Design of Life, that the evidence simply does not support that explanation. Our guest is Dr. Jonathan Wells. He's co-authored a book with Bill Dembski called The Design of Life. And Dr. Wells, you wrote a previous book, which I have here in my hand, called Icons of Evolution. And um, I really would like for you to talk to our audience for a moment about, you know, some of the uh, conventional wisdom, urban legends, really, that uh, since scopes have come down to us, whether on television or in biology books. Um, I mean, many times we're presented with things as if they are facts, in support of evolution, and it's it's actually a fraud. Talk about some of those examples, would you? Sure. Uh, I wrote that book uh, eight years ago after learning as a biology grad student that many of the so-called evidences for Darwinism in textbooks are false, or at least exaggerated. One of them is uh, a set of drawings made by 19th century Darwinist Ernst Haeckel. The embryos, <laughs> That's right, embryos, and that happens to be my field, embryology. Well, the drawings supposedly show that human embryos look very much like fish in their early stages, and this has long been an argument for our common ancestry with fish. The problem is the drawings were faked, <laughs> and Heckel's contemporaries knew it, and biologists ever since, if they look into it, know that the drawings misrepresent the truth, and yet they're still in the textbooks. So, I mean, in the last 10, 20 years, you can still find these drawings in the textbooks. Yes, I list uh, uh, several in my book, Icons of Evolution, and there are actually several dozen more uh, that, were, that have copyright dates in the 1990s and the 2000s. Mm. Well, let me ask you this question, because uh, a lot of our listeners are Christians, and uh, you mentioned creationism and creationists, and, and they want to start with Scripture, and they feel like there's a role for that. So I have a specific question for you, and that is, as you think of apologetics for Christians and defending the faith, what is the unique role for intelligent design? Uh, and I think sometimes people who criticize this field maybe expect all things from intelligent design. Isn't there more of a a negative apologetic role for this, and it's mainly to undercut Darwinian evolution on its own terms. Would you agree with that? Well, there's actually two prongs here. One is to criticize the evidence for Darwinian evolution, which can be done, be done actually without even invoking intelligent design. The truth is the evidence, as I said a few minutes ago, tends to be exaggerated or even faked. So the evidence for Darwin's theory, now that we're not talking about minor changes within existing species, but the origin of new species and organs, the evidence for that is very slim indeed. And uh, you can criticize that without even talking about intelligent design. You can talk about intelligent design, too, which contradicts Darwinism, because Darwinism says all this happened by unguided processes with no evidence of design. And intelligent design, of course, says that the evidence does point to design. So there's a conflict there. 
And I would argue that there is evidence for intelligent design. So you can talk about both of them. But they don't, as I said earlier, they don't get you to God. What they do is they open the door by uh, cracking the materialistic myth that Darwinism has become. And so it's a, it's a ground-clearing operation. Um, it's pre-evangelism, something like that. Let me ask you about a concept that we've talked about in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, or the Lagos, and uh, then we read, All things were made by Him. Do you believe that that notion of Lagos, information, and creation, do you believe when you look at something like the human genome and the sophistication of the sort of the programming that goes into um, the making up of life and unique species, uh, particularly the human race, uh, that that required an intelligence and that that may be the implication of, of a scripture like John chapter 1. I completely agree. The, uh, the evidence points to the need for information, which implies intelligence, which implies a designer. Uh, and in my mind, the most likely uh, designer, of course, is the God of the Old and New Testament. Mm. Mm. Well, let me switch gears. And again, our guest is Dr. Jonathan Wells. He's written the book, The Design of Life. Uh, I encourage you to go to the website, thedesignoflife.net, thedesignoflife.net. If you want to find out more about this book or these themes, go to the Discovery Institute uh, website. But let me ask you this, Dr. Wells. We're about to talk about the environment in just a minute because you're in the sciences. We have some new sound bites from Al Gore later that we're going to play. Uh, what is your viewpoint as a scientist um, as to Al Gore's uh, really sensationalist, uh, alarmist rhetoric. Do you you think it's over the top? Uh, do you buy his explanation about global warming? Well, I'm certainly no expert on that topic. I've read enough to know that there are serious questions about the global warming claim. What bothers me about the whole enterprise is the way established science uh, bullies people. It, it sets up what it considers to be a consensus, which of course never is, and then it uses that as a club to silence dissent. And I object to that in the case of global warming as I do in the case of Darwinism. So they treat global warming skeptics the same way they treat evolution skeptics. Uh, we thank you so much, Dr. Wells, for being with us. You're Again, very welcome. the book, The Design of Life, and we hope to have you back soon. Thank you. All right, folks, when we come back, it is very cold out there. And I'm going to ask you to call in about it. What do you make of this cold weather and global warming, so-called? The number is 800-881-9270. You can call in. We're going to hear from Bono and Al Gore when we come back. Churches all over town. Christian radio and TV. God opens the windows of heaven to you. The Pledge of Allegiance. And in your pocket on a few coins, a declaration of trust. One nation under God. We should be looking for candidates who endorse us. January 29th, Criswell College presents a lecture series to explore if it's still true. One nation under God. Dr. Richard Land, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, will be speaking. It is our responsibility to speak up for those 
who cannot speak for themselves. You are invited. We've got so much to talk about. January 29th, 30th, and 31st at the Criswell College in Dallas. We'll hear if America's past is on track with America's future. One nation under God. Listen also for extra coverage from the CRN News Team. More of the music and ministry you can trust. This month from the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. This is a catastrophe. It is unfolding. If we do not act, it will be unimaginably worse to the point where it will threaten the enterprise of human civilization. The enterprise of human civilization. Al Gore says uh, it's threatened. Uh, The human race could be eliminated because of global warming. There he goes again, uh, sensationalizing his theory of global warming and that we're going to be flooded or burned out. It's so interesting. Every time they have one of these rallies or concerts that uh, there's a lot of snow or it's cold everywhere. And I really want to know what you think about this. It's cold out there today. And uh, what do you make again? of the global warming hysteria. I have some breaking news about an article that I'm going to bring out in just a moment. We're going to talk about Bono, the singer, and his confession to Al Gore, and really where evangelicals going on this. You may be surprised by a recent poll, but first we're going to go to the phone lines. We've got Brandy on the line from Fort Worth. Thank you for calling. Brandy, what do you make of Al Gore's campaign and the weather today? Um, my whole take on the global warming is that the world... Um, was created to have cycles and have cycles for re- um, you know for a reason uh, for even on just the, on the um, animals being in like the Antarctica and those colder places it gets warmer and colder um, I think to regulate even the population and I kind of like to think of the whole quote unquote global warming as God's saying, I still have control. If he wants it cold, he's going to make it cold. If he wants it warm, he'll make it warm. Well, Brandy, um, I like what you have to say, and thank you so much for calling in. You know, uh, we had an author on here not long ago that wrote a book called Unstoppable Global Warming Every 1,500 Years. And I think, Brandy, you were talking about the cycles that we see every season and every year. Uh, and these authors said, hey, there's actually a, a larger cycle. And they trace and they document um, ice ages and warming periods at every 1,000 or 1,500 years. We've talked about that many times on this program, and you never hear Al Gore and company really addressing that as a fact of history in terms of Greenland being much warmer than it is today thousands of years ago. And uh, what do you make of that? And the fact is that the polar bear population is at an all-time high right now. What do you make of that? Well, here's a breaking news story that I find fascinating about Antarctica. And, folks, this comes from the New York Times. I say again, the New York Times, January 21. That's this week. Now, listen to the headline. Scientists find active volcano in Antarctica. And here's the first line of the New York Times article. Here is another factor that might be contributing to the thinning of some of the Antarctic's glaciers. 
volcanoes. Do you think that could make a difference? The article goes on to describe a volcano under the ice sheet that has been going off. And this volcano has been melting the ice sheet from underneath. Now, what does your driving a car have to do with that? Absolutely nothing. Now, I'm not saying there's been no more warming. And I'm not saying that humans have nothing to do with it. And I'm not saying that we should be polluters. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is this, that Al Gore's propaganda campaign is really not backed by sound science and solid science. In fact, there's a good bit of hypocrisy in that camp. And uh, Bono of the band U2, generally for many good causes, I think made a very interesting statement at this Davos conference in Switzerland. Here is Bono. Listen carefully. What we're looking for is coherence across three surfaces, Mm -hmm. the three extremes, Um, extreme poverty, extreme climate change, also extreme ideologies. That's very interesting. He said three extremes. He said the extremist. He said we do have extreme poverty. Well, that's true. And I'll tell you, a lot of the measures that the global global warming um, extremist A lot of these measures they're proposing will not help those in poverty. In fact, we could spend the same amount of money helping those in poverty and save millions of lives. But he also talked about extreme ideology. Very interesting. Give us a call at 800-881-9270. Do you think Al Gore and company are extremists? And do you think that Christians should buy into his agenda? The number is 800-881-9270. Now, here's Bono confessing to Al Gore. Let me just read the quote. He said, It's like being with an Irish priest. You start to confess your sins when you're around Al Gore. Now listen to Al, um, to Bono. He says, quote, Father Al, I'm not just a noise polluter. I'm a noise polluting, diesel soaking, Gulfstream flying rock star, end quote. Bono confessing, really, along these lines, that he's been a hypocrite. And he says he wants to change. I've got another story here today from David Beckham, about David Beckham, the soccer star. And they're saying that his carbon footprint is 163 tons a year of carbon dioxide. 163 tons compared to just nine tons for the average Englishman. You see, many of these Hollywood types, uh, many of these political types like John Edwards and Al Gore, live in huge homes. Or like uh, Beckham, have 15 cars. He has a fleet of 15 cars, and they want to lecture you. And they want to say that you can save the world. Well, we've got Caroline on the line from Dallas. Caroline, what do you make of Al Gore's recent claims that we're about to eliminate the enterprise of human civilization if we don't change our ways. What do you think? I think that he's about to um, eliminate human enterprise if he doesn't change his speech, because uh, honestly, there's more hysteria about global warming than there really is fact to back it up. And uh, just in, you know, statecraft and stuff, you're always supposed to say, okay, what's the problem? How big is the problem? And let's address it in the measure of, of... how how big or how small it is, and really, Jerry, I mean the the um, the degrees uh, 
across the board have not been, you know, like huge, like 50 degrees. I mean, it's been one to two. It's been pretty minuscule, yet um, he wants us to allocate billions of dollars to change our uh, environmental environmentally, quote-unquote, unsafe ways. And really, if we do that and if we abide by all what the environmental people are wanting us to do, we will, in fact, um, you know, become like North Korea that has no industry, has no freedom, and uh, is actually, you know, (laughs) much behind civilization than we are. Carolina, you know, have you heard anybody say, for instance, that really the hottest year in the last 10 years was 1998. We've been cooling every year since 1998. You ever hear anybody talking about that? No. I don't, I, I don't hear anybody talking about that, and I don't hear anybody talking about the fact that it was snowing over Easter last year or anything like that. They seem to uh, kind of neglect those uh, facts that are quite obvious. To, and the uh, hottest day, yeah, the hottest day on record in the last 100 years in the 1930s according to NASA, not in the last 10 years, or the hottest year, that was, in the 30s. Uh, well, Caroline, thank you for that call. I really appreciate that. And um, we're going to keep watching this story. Now, there's a development on the evangelical side, and that is Rick Sizek of the National Association of Evangelicals is uh, really kind of piling on uh, the Gore bandwagon. And I want you to listen to him today talk about the agenda that evangelicals have or should have. We have an agenda as evangelical Christians that begins with religious freedom and includes uh, the sanctity of life principle, of course, and protecting the family and children. But it very importantly includes all the principles of human rights, of peacemaking, of caring for creation. Okay, well, Sizik is reacting to a beliefnet.com survey. Now, this isn't a scientific poll. It's a internet survey where they ask they ask folks look are you more concerned about abortion and homosexuality are you more concerned about human rights peacemaking and uh, creation care and on this survey uh, these christians said on beliefnet we're more concerned with human rights peacemaking and creation care and uh, sizek really trying to justify uh, his buying into the al gore agenda and he has been uh, an alarmist in the evangelical community. Uh, I think sometimes we don't think theologically about these issues, and I want to read a scripture from Romans chapter 8 because um, we need to always go back to the text, and there is a reason why this world has problems. It's the weather problems and climate problems, and uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, it's the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. That's not because you're driving a car or flying in an airplane or eating a hamburger. It's because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, there was a curse upon this earth, and this world has been winding down and messing up every since, ever since. And we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We're waiting for the redemption, not just of our souls and our bodies. We're waiting for the redemption of this earth. It will be remade and recreated. Until then, we are to be good stewards. But we're not to buy in to this hysteria 
that we're destroying the earth and that we can save it. We ought to have a balanced, biblical, informed kind of stewardship. And speaking of stewardship, when we come back, what's up with the U.S. economy? President Bush saying he's going to give you $600 to $1,200. Are we headed for a recession? Who is the best presidential candidate on taxes and the economy? We're going to interview Grover Norquist, an expert, when we come back. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Lower taxes, less regulation, reduction of government spending. You work on those three things, the economy then handles itself. All right, that's Rudy Giuliani. He's running for president. He says, let's get those lower taxes. Let's reduce spending, and this will help the economy. Here's the current president, President Bush, today. And uh, he's saying you're going to get $600 to $1,200. Will this make a difference? Here's President Bush. Disagreement meets the criterion that I set forth uh, last week to provide an effective, robust, and temporary set of incentives that will boost our economy and encourage job creation. To boost the economy. Why? Because many people believe that we're headed for a recession or at least a slowdown. Are we headed for a recession? And who really is the best presidential candidate on economic policy? With us to talk about it is Grover Norquist. He's president of Americans for Tax Reform, one of the most effective, uh, I think, operators in the country when it comes to uh, just speaking common sense on tax policy. Grover, thank you for being with us today. Delighted to be with you. Grover, what do you make of Rudy Giuliani's uh, little triad there that we just need to uh, cut taxes and uh, reduce spending? Uh, Do you think that's the right formula? It is exactly the right formula. Uh, Rudy Giuliani was the mayor of New York City, and when the Republican mayor of New York City is making that much economic sense. It gives me great hope for the country. Uh, Rudy Giuliani has put forward actually the best tax cut package of all the Republicans running. Uh, Romney has a, a strong one. Uh, McCain has come out with one recently, but the strongest uh, is Rudy Giuliani's uh, cutting taxes across the board. Uh, and it is my hope uh, that we're going to see serious uh, tax cutting in the future. The uh, stimulus package you mentioned today is one-third good, two-thirds silly. All right, let's talk uh, about that. What's the good and what's the silly? Well, uh, President Bush wanted to have expensing, uh, and the Republicans in Congress wanted expensing, meaning when a, when a manufacturer buys new uh, equipment uh, for, uh, uh, for his company, you can expense it, meaning you don't pay taxes on it because it's not income anymore in the first year rather than depreciating right. it over a long period of time. That's useful. We've seen that uh, give us faster economic growth. Uh, it was done by John F. Kennedy in the early 60s uh, with the investment tax credit. This is a really good step in the right direction. That's the one-third, $40 billion uh, of serious policy. Uh, Then you have $100 billion where they're just writing checks to people, and that's just the standard uh, liberal Democrat position, write checks to people, 
And uh, somehow if you take money from somebody and give it to somebody else, it'll help the economy. All right, Grover, I want you to listen to New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg. I have a couple of sound bites here. He's very skeptical uh, about the success of this package. There's just one problem with this. It's not going to make a huge difference because we're already running huge deficits. All right, here's Bloomberg again. They spent most of this past decade, when things were good, running up bills with reckless abandon. And when the economy started heading for the ditch, the special interest giveaways got even bigger. All right, here's my question for you, Grover. Are we headed for a recession? If this pack, if we are, can this package make a difference? And if not, uh, what is the solution? Well, we are heading towards uh, slow economic growth and towards a significant decline in the stock market. And the reason for that is that the tax cut in 2003, which created $7 trillion, with a T, $7 trillion in stock market wealth, cutting the capital gains tax, cutting the double taxation of dividend income from 35 to 15%, that created $7 trillion worth of stock market value. And if the Democrats stay in power, that tax cut will end on January 1st, 2011. So we will see $7 trillion in stock market value collapse between now and then. So the only way to really fix the economy and stop a very bad uh, slowdown is to make the Bush tax cuts permanent. For this year, given that the Democrats are not going to do this, the expensing provision that Bush put forward is good. It's good for this year, but it should be made permanent. This is Jerry Johnson Live. My guest is Grover Norquist. He holds an economics degree from Harvard University. He was also a commissioner on the National Commission on Restructuring, the IRS. He's president for Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, let's switch now to the presidential race. I want you to hear John McCain. The president of the United States needs to veto every pork barrel, big spending bill that comes across his desk. I'll do that and I'll make them famous. You will know their names. All right, Grover, let's handicap some of these Republican leftovers now that are in the race. That was McCain. He's talking tough on spending. Is he the real deal or will he get us in trouble economically? Well, I'm very happy with his commit, his promises to keep spending down. Uh, he voted against both of the tax cuts that President Bush put forward in 2001-2003. He promises now that having voted against them, he understands that he was wrong and that they were important and part of economic growth. Uh, He's kind of the prodigal son on economic policy. I do hope that his return to the fold of Reagan tax cutting is real. Mm. You've already mentioned Rudy. You like his tax policy, economic policy, McCain. What about uh, Huckabee? A lot of people, um, you know, like him because he's conservative on moral and uh, ethical issues. But uh, on economics, a lot of people raising questions. What do you think of Huckabee? Well, when he was governor, he spent too much money and he raised taxes. Uh, But that was then. He now promises he'll never raise taxes again. (laughs) Uh, which is important. Both he and McCain have a troubled background that they have to overcome. Uh, but I'm all in favor of people moving in the direction of Reaganomics. Reagan moved in the direction of, of uh, uh, Reagan when, when, when he was young. Mm. Uh, he didn't start off as a solid economic conservative. He became one. So we should always take late vocation and understand that people mm. that move in our direction are our friends, not 
our adversary. Wait, we believe in repentance on this program, Reagan repentance on taxes. That's yeah. good. Finally, Romney, what do you make of Romney on economics? Uh, Romney had a, uh, a very difficult uh, governorship, simply that he had a Democratic con- uh, legislature so crazy in that two-thirds, so they could override him if they wanted to. Uh, but as governor of Massachusetts, he fought for lower taxes. Uh, he was very well respected by Citizens for Limited Taxation, the taxpayer group in Massachusetts. Uh, Romney is a serious, limited government, small government tax cutter. So he, like Rudy Giuliani, would uh, lead the Republican Party in the direction that Reagan uh, set it. Grover Norquist is president for Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, thank you for being with us. We hope to have you back sometime. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, hey, a question that we might ask for you uh, right now is uh, how do you, as a Christian out there, balance these economic concerns with moral and ethical concerns? We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but I invite you to call in. You might say, well, you know, I really think Rudy's better on the economy. Romney might be better on the economy than Huckabee or McCain, but I have problems on the pro-life issue or the pro-marriage issue because Rudy is weak there. Um, I want to know what you're thinking about this. The number is 800-881-9270. Or maybe this question, who better understands the economy, a senator, a former CEO, a former mayor, or a former Baptist preacher? I mean, that's another way to look at this question. The number, 800-881-9270. You know, this weekend, we're seeing a crescendo to our God and country emphasis here on uh, KCBI. And Larry, I want you to get that uh, promo ready because I want you to listen, actually, to this local preacher, Barry Cameron. We're going to be paying, uh, playing, we're going to be playing a sermon uh, from uh, Barry Cameron this Sunday night. We'll also be running our God and Country special this Sunday night, Dr. Land coming next week. And as you listen to these themes, call in on the economy versus abortion, let's say. Here we go. One Nation Under God. David Capellian, in his excellent book, The Marketing of Evil, says as Americans, we've come to tolerate, embrace, and even champion many things that would have horrified our parents' generation. Things like abortion on demand, virtually up to the moment of birth, judges banning the Ten Commandments from public places, a national explosion of middle school sex, thousands of homosexuals openly flouting the law and getting married, and online pornography creating late-night sex addicts in millions of middle-class homes. At the same time, our courts have scrubbed America's schoolrooms, surgically clean of every vestige of religion upon which this nation was founded, Christianity. Indeed, in 50 years, we've gone from a nation unified by traditional Judeo-Christian values to one in which those same values are increasingly scorned, rejected, and demonized. How can this be happening in America, he asks. How does child molesting become man-boy love? How does crushing a baby's skull and sucking out his brains become a constitutional right? How does quoting the Bible become hate speech? How exactly is evil made to appear good and good made to appear evil? How has America, which still boasts an 80% Christian population, seen fit to embrace what can only be called a culture of death rather than a culture of life? End of quote. And you have to ask yourself, how does something like that happen? I can tell you the answer to that. It happens when the church turns away and buries its head in the sand. Folks, it's time we stopped allowing people to lie to us and act like it's okay. We need to challenge that and say that is not the truth. One nation under God. We believe it. Here on 90.9. 
KCBI. Hey, that's a prophetic sermon. You can hear the rest of it. 7.30 this Sunday night, then at 8 o'clock, our One Nation Under God special. And here's the question. We've got Alan on the line. We've only got about 15 seconds, Alan. Are you going to vote your pocketbook or your Bible? I'm going to vote on both because I believe that economic concerns and moral concerns are both biblical concerns. God commands us to protect life, but he also commands us to be good stewards. All right, Alan, can you hold? If you can, we'll take the rest of that call when we come back. We've also got Robert on the line. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're going to talk about it. We'll be right back. Churches all over town. Christian Radio and TV. God opens the windows of heaven to you. The Pledge of Allegiance. And in your pocket on a few coins, a declaration of trust. One nation under God. We should be looking for candidates who endorse us. January 29th, Criswell College presents a lecture series to explore if it's still true. One nation under God. Dr. Richard Land, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, will be speaking. It is our responsibility to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You are invited. We've got so much to talk about. January 29th, 30th, and 31st at the Criswell College in Dallas. We'll here if America's past is on track with America's future. One nation under God. Listen also for extra coverage from the CRN News Team. More of the music and ministry you can trust. This month from the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Crystal Communications. What's happening to jobs? Are the jobs going to be growing? Uh, are we going to go into recession? Are things going to be getting worse? Are they going to get better? A lot of families are feeling a real uh, economic squeeze. All right, that's Mitt Romney, former governor of Massachusetts. He's running for president of the United States, and he says the economy really is important. A lot of families feeling the squeeze. What about you? How will it affect your vote? Are you going to vote your pocketbook or your Bible? Uh, we had uh, Alan on just a moment ago. He says, hey, I'm going to do both. Alan, uh, welcome back. I'm intrigued by that answer. How are you going to do both? Who is your candidate? Well, after looking at all the candidates, I think actually all of them have it wrong because either they're wrong on the moral issues and right on the economics or they're wrong on both. <laughs> and so the one that stuck out at me at the most is Ron Paul mm. because he looks at it from a biblical perspective and a constitutional perspective. Right. He says, yes, uphold the biblical concerns on life and on marriage and how what the biblical role of government is. But he also says, let's look at the constitutional perspective and the biblical role for economics. Get rid of the Federal Reserve and give more money back to the people. Get the federal government out of the people's pocketbooks. Mm. And so I think he's the only candidate that takes a biblical look at economics and moral issues and a constitutional look. I think both are very important. And without those standards, we won't have a strong economy or strong morals in this nation. Alan, let me ask you this question, because we've had uh, Ron Paul on this program a couple of times, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think of him. I also think of Alan Keyes, who's running. And uh, they're similar uh, in, in these emphases, uh, different in others. But uh, right now, it doesn't seem particularly uh, like Keyes. But even Paul, he's polling so low. Uh, there are some Christians that say, well, wait a minute. Um, even if I like this guy... I feel like I might be throwing my vote away. How would you respond to that kind of an argument? I'd say first that if they would just go ahead and support the candidate they most agree with in the primaries, 
it would change the polls. I think it's in the general election. That's when you question who your second choice is and if you're going to support them. Ah, so I agree with that. In principle, the primaries are designed for you to push your agenda on your party. I think that's a good point, Alan. Alan, we're going to move on. We've got other callers. Thank you for calling in. I think we're going to Robert next. Robert, thank you for holding. For you, is it uh, the pocketbook or the Bible or both? Well, I'll tell you, brother, my question is, uh, I wonder why we as Christians, uh, when we discuss economics in the political arena, why for us it revolves around the value of our stocks uh, and the issue of stewardship as opposed to how the poor are doing and taking care of the poor. And honestly, I think it's a disguise for greed that has come to characterize us as Christians in the American church. I'd like your thoughts on that. Well, hey, Robert, let me ask you this question. Uh, Do you feel that... America should be doing more for the poor in terms of the federal government. You think it's the federal government's responsibility to uh, take care of the poor? You know, I think uh, I think they shouldn't have to because I think we should be doing more to take care of the poor. Yeah. And if uh, the discussion in the churches uh, wasn't centered around the same things, uh, I don't think we'd have to worry about you know who the government was taking care of. But the discussion I hear from the pulpit, you know, we have classes on how to build wealth and yeah, that's right. You know, as opposed to classes about how to how help to your help neighbor. And, that's right. Yeah. And you see um, a lot of Christians going out to the suburbs to go to the church, uh, not maybe in the inner city where the, there are poor people, needy people, um, yeah, yeah. people without parents. Um, and uh, I think uh, that's a message, though, for the church, in my view. So you ask my response. I would say, look, the church needs to be about helping the poor, and we as individuals need to be about helping the poor. But we've got to remember, Jesus said, you will have the poor with you always. And I think if we think that government can create a utopia where there are no poor people, that um, the government will really end up uh, robbing the middle class and the rich uh, to achieve an utopia that's just not possible. That would be my view. Well, let's move on to Debbie. Debbie's called in. Debbie, thank you for calling and holding. How are you voting? Are you voting economics? Are you voting uh, moral values, spiritual values? Can you do both? Well, Dr. Johnson, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to say that I'm going to vote with my Bible because um, life is God's greatest creation. And I think that it has to start there. I mean, that, that's where life begins. And uh, we're just um, going to continue to destroy what we have if that's not the first and foremost issue that we think about. Hey, Debbie, do you ever think about that scripture that says righteousness exalts a nation, mm-hmm, but exactly. sin is a reproach to any people? Yes. Wow. Thanks for calling so much, Debbie, and we hope to have you back sometime. Well, I think um, this is not unique to this year. I remember back in the 90s when I was pastoring a church that one of the deacons of my church said, hey, we need an economic revival. I'm voting for this guy because he'll turn the economy around. And I thought, man, we need a spiritual revival, too. And it's funny that he would use the word revival to say our economy needs a revival. And he he compromised. He compromised on the life issue. And we had eight years of Bill Clinton because I think many people said uh, we we may be going into recession with George Bush the first. It turned out just to be a little blip. It was over by the time he left. But there are many people who voted their pocketbooks. And I hope we can find both. Uh, I hope that we can find candidates that would do both. But I have to say to you, if you have to choose between the economy and life, 
I think we must go with life. The Bible also says in Proverbs 29:2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. The people groan. And I've got to believe we go back as Americans to the Declaration. I had this discussion today with someone about the Constitution versus the Declaration. The Constitution doesn't talk a lot about God. Really no specific references. Um, there's an implication. Uh, but the Constitution had the two, uh, the three-fifths allowance for the slave and the black man. And it really was the Constitution that stood to be corrected by the Declaration, the principles in the Declaration, that all men are created equal. That's in the Declaration. Endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these, the right to life. I keep going back to that because I believe... As we think about the theme of God and country here, this Sunday night, the sermon at 7.30, Barry Cameron, our God and country special at 8 o'clock. Next week, Dr. Richard Land is going to be here three days at Criswell College, 10 o'clock on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You're invited. Our, Our audience is invited. Dr. Land will sign his book. We'll be giving out the God and country CD. But as we think about this God and country theme, we go back to the Declaration, which says, Our rights as Americans comes not from the king or the president or the congress or the governor. Our rights as Americans flow from a creator. We are all created equal and endowed, blessed, granted those rights from the creator. No government can take them away. No government can grant them. Government's role is to protect those rights given by God. And if a president doesn't understand that every human being has a fundamental right to life from the womb to the tomb. That man is not fit for office, in my view. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Tomorrow, Dr. Richard Land, David Barton next week. Don't miss it. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.